This is the PT Pinecast. Welcome to PT Pinecast. I'm physical therapist, Drew McKay. Excited about this episode. I like when we bring on multiple guests. Do you want to know why? Is it because there's so much more learning with more people? Maybe. Is it because we get diverse voices and some interprofessional collaboration? Probably some of that. Ultimately, I do less work. Yeah, I'm going to intro them. I'll set them up real well. Then I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to duck into the background and I'm going to wait for it. Learn stuff. Yes, people know me as the guy who talks a lot. You're the podcast guy. Right, right. Uh, what you don't notice or you should be noticing is you learn a lot and you get smart people in the room, ask them a question or two, and then be quiet. It's that last part. It's that last part that people <laughs> struggle. Uh, so today we're going to talk about uh, a diabetes self-management program. We're going to bring in, I like this, a nurse practitioner, a physical therapist, a registered dietitian, and a pharmacist. This sounds like a walked into a bar joke, but it's not. It's today's episode. So without further ado, let's do it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to PT Pinecast. We like to say uh, we share great physical therapy conversations so busy PTs can feel connected to their profession. Uh, I'm Jimmy McKay. Find us on the socials at PT Pinecast on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and the website is ptpintcast.com. I do want to say thanks to our friends from cbdrx4u.com. A lot of patients are walking in clinic. They're using this stuff over the counter. Do you know? Do you know exactly how it might affect their course of care? Get the ABCs of CBD at cbdrx4u.com. Also, MW Therapy, it's a great all-in-one physical therapy resource. Listen, your EMR is to a physical therapist, is a hammer is to a carpenter. You should like using it. So test drive theirs right now and see what they've got to offer. MWTherapy.com. Com. Plus our friends at Physical Franchise. It's, it's spelled funny, though. Physical Franchise with an F. F-Y-Z-I-C-A-L, physicalfranchise.com. If you'd like to open a clinic but don't know how, you're a great clinician but don't know how, that's what physical can do. If you've got a, a, a clinic and you're like, man, I just wish I could get more, realize that clinics that join the physical network grow more than 40%. So, again, physicalfranchise.com. It's F-Y-Z-I-C-A-L, franchise.com. All right, tonight, multidisciplinary panel. I like this because I do less work. I mentioned that, right? We're going to bring you a nurse practitioner, physical therapist, registered dietitian, and pharmacist to share information about a diabetes self-management program, a team collaboration, and current programs to maintain and improve diabetes care. So without further ado, let's bring in our guests. We need some crowd noise. There we go. Adeniki, Ken, Teresa, and Kate, welcome to the show. That's it. I'm done. All my talking is I've, I'm out of words. All right. So let's do this. We'll start with Adeniki because you've been nominated team captain. Give us a sense or two so people can figure out who's who in the neighborhood. Absolutely. First of all, thank you so much, Jimmy, for having us on the podcast. It's really great what you're doing. And we're always excited to share information, not only with patients, but fellow colleagues in the healthcare industry. Um, and so my name is Adenika. I'm a pharmacist at the HSC Health Pavilion in Fort Worth, Texas. And um, I am the director and kind of program coordinator for our diabetes management course and program that we have for our patients. And I'm really excited to be getting to work with amazing colleagues people who are, you know, thought leaders and just real great clinicians. 
And we've been doing this since 2019. And as a big group, we have just made a lot of effort and a lot of progress in diabetes education and management. So I'm really excited to be here. Um, we'll go ahead and just do some brief introduction about our team and then yeah. talk about the program afterwards, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. Let's go to Kate next. Kate, introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. I'm Kate Taylor. I'm a nurse practitioner here at, in the geriatric clinic at UNT Health Science Center. I've primarily practiced in the inpatient setting for about 22 years, um, working mostly as a, a hospitalist, but I've moved to the outpatient world about two years ago and, and primarily working with geriatric patients. And my focus is outpatient care and home-based care. Excellent. Teresa, you're up next. Hi, everybody. My name is Dr. Teresa Wagner. I am a registered dietitian with a doctorate in public health. I have worked in clinical care as a registered dietitian, community-based organizations such as early childhood intervention, been a spokesperson for the National Dairy Council, and uh, went back to school. And now I am a assistant professor at the University of North Texas Health Science Center and clinical executive for health literacy at Safer Care Texas. Teresa is obviously an underachiever. We like that. All right. Five, last but not least, uh, Ken Miller. So I'm Dr. Ken Miller. I am the physical therapist of the group that Jimmy was alluding to. Uh, I am here at uh, UNT Health Science Center in Fort Worth in the Department of Physical Therapy, full-time assistant professor. And my clinical practice has been 26 years working in home health. And so working with people that have had diabetes or uh, potentially have diabetes, pre-diabetics for all my career, and uh, coming to uh, Fort Worth and coming to this school and to the university, really seeing that there's a need, uh, helping to develop this program has really been a big, uh, big uh, blessing to me. And working with these these amazing clinicians has really been uh, a blessing to me. And and to help our patients and uh, community has been wonderful. So I like what Ken just did there. As a guy in communications, he just wrapped up. The last thing he said was about our patients. So let's start Let's start here. Instead of talking about a program, right? That's a group of people, which is okay. Let's talk about who the program seeks to help. Let's start with that, and then we'll talk about how. So first is the who, then we'll, then we'll do the how. So where do we start with the who? Who's the seeking to help? He's as specific or broad as you want, Adeniki. Absolutely. And so our target really are patients who we've narrowed it down more to a geriatric scope, so 65 years and older, patients with either type 1 or type 2 diabetes who is, you know, having a new um, diagnosis and just need some information and really understanding the disease state. It can be quite overwhelming um, as a new diagnosis or someone who's had it for a while and just needs, you know, education on maybe you know lifestyle changes, nutrition, physical activity, medication use. And so we really try to create an environment where we encourage patients to talk to each other, um, talk to us as you know clinicians and content experts, and to see how we can help support them to live better lives with the disease state. Um, you know, back in the day, diabetes was definitely something that was a, a death sentence for most patients. And with the advancement of medical care and lifestyle, understanding lifestyle choices, it's really been something that's more a chronic disease now that we can manage. So our entire goal is just to how to empower patients to live better with diabetes and how to be a resource for them as they continue with the journey. Okay. So now we've set the stage, right? We know the goal. We know, we know who we're trying to serve. We really know what we're trying to get out of it. Uh, but you could approach that lots of different ways, and you could do it. Uh, you could do it a hundred different ways. Uh, first and foremost, I'm guessing why your or how your 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 program is different is well. 
you guys. Now we get to talk about the who's, right? Because you're this is an interprofessional uh, group and you're obviously working together. So now let's get into the nitty gritty. The clinicians out there want to know, hey, listen, I get that the, what they're trying to do. A lot of people are trying to do that. How do you do it? What's so different about it? And then talk about some results. Absolutely. Um, so the program started in 2019 and it was really um, as an interest to help again support patients with diabetes. And one of the things about the disease state is just how complex it is and how many moving parts there are. And being in a health campus that has multiple disciplines, it only made sense to create a program where we have experts in different fields to ensure that patients have optimal care. And so we had the initial you know, idea kind of kicked around within pharmacy. And thankfully we have colleagues and friends in different disciplines. And so we invited them to see if they were interested. And thankfully we have you know, Ken, Teresa and Kate join us to say, yes, you know, we do this in our individual practices, but it will be great to have an education program where we can show patients how all of these different disciplines come together to ensure optimal care. Okay. And so since 2019, we have created a program. We ran a few cohorts and just, you know, our last cohort just finished in the, in the spring semester. And it was amazing the feedback we got from patients, not necessarily just the information provided, but then having access to different disciplines, being able to talk to Teresa and get all that great nutrition information, talk to Ken and understand physical activity and how that affects their blood sugar and lifestyle choices. And then with Kate, given an overall view of the disease state and myself with the medications, and just knowing that we're here on campus to answer any questions they have has been amazing. And at least for me, I've learned so much from my colleagues as to how they approach certain um, you know, aspects of the disease, being that that's their specialty and their expertise. And so I've also learned within the program and it's something that I've now taken that information into practice when I see patients in clinic too. All right, Kate, let's, uh, let's bring you in. Let's talk about diabetes, a little macro to micro, right? So macro, how has diabetes impacted the health of society, right? I mean, a minute, a, a second ago, Adeniki mentioned it used to be a death sentence, but uh, how is it, how has it, and how is it affecting the health of society right now? Sure. Well, I think it affects our health system hugely because it's, the prevalence of it is about 11% of the population. So we know that people who are living longer with this disease, we have more people with the disease. And with that, we have to deal with more of the complications. We have to deal with more of the medications. We have to teach more. And we have to guide these people along this this chronic process. So it's not, we just treat it and it goes away. Right. We teach you, we treat you, and we follow you along the way and help modify the patient plan um, as the years go on. Well said. Um, what factors should healthcare professionals be aware of with, uh, with diabetes? Let's, let's be specific, we'll say type two. Um, because I think when you get into your silos and the fact that we're having people chime in saying they love uh, panel discussions, we've got people from across the healthcare spectrum. I mean, this is a pretty good swath if you're going to go across. So let's hear from you, Kate. What are some things that we, even if even if you think the audience knows it, what are, what are the things we need to pay attention to in terms of, uh, of type 2 diabetes? Well, I think the person you need to know, is the diabetes controlled or not controlled? Because that can tell you a lot right there. Yeah. It, does the person know how to manage their diabetes? Does the is the person on the right medications? Um, if they're uncontrolled, do we need to watch for complications? I just had a patient who just left the clinic 
less than um, 30 minutes ago and our A1C was, you know, 10 and a half and I checked her feet and she was numb in her feet. And so we have a lot of work to do with that patient. And so I think, I think that's one of the first questions you need to ask yourself. Yeah. Let's talk about current treatments. You mentioned that, you know, uh, it used to be a death sentence, but things have changed. We've gotten smarter. So let's talk about current treatments. Maybe, maybe therapists out there. I love when we get, when we get uh, comments like this, Hey, it's, it's weird. I heard that episode on diabetes. I hadn't worked with anybody with diabetes in a year. And next thing you know, I look at my schedule. Oh, there's one. So what are, what are the current treatments? Keep us up to date. Well, I would say, you know, the treatment is very, the medications are really complex now. When I, when I was in the hospital, I was treating people with either insulin, um, basically insulin and metformin or glipizide. And now there's this whole list of various categories of medications that can treat the patient in a variety of ways. It's not just maybe a pill or maybe an injection. Maybe it's um, one of the newer medications where we give one injection once a week and that helps with weight loss and, and glycemic control. So I would punt that over to Dr. Atanda to help us with that because I do need her support to help me with the complicated medical therapy that diabetes requires sometimes. Absolutely. Um, and like Kate alluded to earlier, you know, insulin used to be our mainstay of therapy and then metformin and things like glipizide. Um, but thankfully, in the last 50 years, we've seen an explosion, it seems like, of medications used to manage um, you know, diabetes and blood sugar, and we're really excited for that. Um, we have medications that are more targeted in terms of only working when your blood sugar is high. Therefore, we have less low blood sugar hypoglycemia occur. We have medications that, you know, also look at multiple pathways, and so we get a lot of A1C um, reduction more than we typically have had with some oral medications. And even insulin medications are becoming more, you know, tailored towards patients. So we have short release, long-term release ones now. We have intermediate um, we have combination pens that help reduce the amount of injections patients have to you know, take, especially if they have type 1 diabetes that require insulin. Um, and so we've just really made a lot of progress and a lot more is in the pipeline to help um, kind of make this an easier process for patients to navigate um, if they do have diabetes. All right, let's bring in the, uh, let's bring in the physical therapist. Ken, uh, what areas do you educate your patients in for, for self-management? What's the PT doing in terms of self-management and education? So I would say one of the biggest things that, that we talk about are looking for the signs and symptoms for low blood sugar and high blood sugar, certainly more blo low blood sugar with exercise. So we wanna keep our patients safe. So if we have a patient that's taking diabetic medications that may have a side effect of low blood sugar, our, our key there is to teach the patients how to look for signs and symptoms. We want them to monitor their blood sugar before they start the exercise program, You know, make sure that they've eaten appro appropriately and really, we want to make sure that they are physically active. And, you know, one of the things I, I want to make sure that everyone is aware of and, um, you know, something that I've heard quite often at, in my own appointments with doctors in New York when I was living there was, you know what, you need to be more physically active. And that's the end of the conversation. Right. Or you need to eat better. And that's the end of the conversation. The idea of this program is we actually get into the nitty gritty of what that looks like. And really, that's the key to this program is. We try to find people where they are. We try to find what the people need to help, what, what makes them tick. And really we try to set goals. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure, a little bit later. But yeah. our, our, my key is to try to get them more physically active because if they can burn the sugar that they eat and their body and they can build some muscle up, then they'll burn more sugar while they're even at rest. 
And so that can help keep their sugars under a better control. And it helps with insulin resistance, which is a big key factor for type 2 diabetes. And so if we can get them more physically active and eating better, and Dr. Wagner will talk about that shortly, that we can really make a difference. It's the lifestyle choices they make that's really the key. Medications are secondary for when lifestyle is either not a choice or uh, it may not be enough. What are some specific things that you've seen work well in terms of saying, well, hey, you, you got to be more active, but we don't want to stop there. So what are some strategies you, you've used and that you've seen work well? So one of the things I try to do is find what is important to the patient. So what type of activities do they like? So if they like to dance or they like to go walking or hiking or biking or whatever it is they like to do, uh, even if they haven't done it in a while, that's that becomes one of the goals that I have for them is is even if it's just walking, let's get you back to doing something and have them try to either count it, they either keep track of it by time or keep track of it by distance and make something that is a small measurable goal that they can achieve and then build from there. So a lot of my patients, you know, they sit on the couch, you know, starting off from a point of being very sedentary. So I'll tell them, I don't want you to sit for more than a half hour. You know, every half hour, commercial gets up. I want you to march in place for 30 seconds. Can you, you think you can do something like that? You know, and then let's see if you can, you can you march for two minutes? Let's set the microwave timer going and let's see if we can get you to march for a little bit more time and get that heart rate up. And then try to go with small, tangible, measurable goals that they can do on their own and something that they achieve. And then it helps to build, build confidence. I think self-efficacy is a huge factor. Very yep. people think they can't do it or they have family members that may have died from diabetes or had many complications, not realizing that it's a lifestyle choice that can really make a difference that, you know, if they're fatalist and it's inevitable, you know, they may not even try. So I, I try to turn that around and say, you know what, we know that diabetes is preventable. We know that it's manageable. Try to let's get some small goals here and see if we can help make some changes. I like so it. stuff that's small. Reminds me that smart, smart criteria, right? Specific, measurable, attainable relevant and time-based to make yeah. it smart right otherwise it's just and eh, be more active okay yeah i feel like i feel like i'm doing that uh teresa we, we got to come to you next because i feel like well nutrition's got to matter so that'll be my that's my that's my hard-hitting question teresa why does nutrition matter here well as you've heard from all of my colleagues that you know talking about managing blood glucose levels or blood sugar levels um, you know, between medications and physical activity, well, of course, nutrition is going to matter because if you're taking your medication and you're not eating, then you are going to have a hypoglycemic episode. And if you are getting physically active and not timing your eating correctly, then you're going to have a hypoglycemic episode. But in general, it's just a, a basic healthy diet. I mean, we all should be eating the same diet that we teach um, to our patients living with diabetes because it's all the basic food groups. You just eat um, in a timed schedule, which we all should be better about doing so that your blood sugar has these gentle curves. Um, so it keeps you from getting too hungry or too full if you wait too long to eat or if you eat too much at one sitting. Um, so just in general, a lot of what we talk about is, you know, well, what foods can make your blood sugar higher in terms of simple carbohydrates and, you know, using more complex carbohydrates to help balance it better. But we also talk about that there's no good or bad foods, like all foods can fit. You just have to learn how to fit them together in a meal plan that is consistent 
and has all three protein, fat, and carbs in a balanced way every single day, preferably at the same time every day. Okay. Um, how about resources, right? I mean, you know, especially type two diabetics, uh, this is something brand new, right? This is something that they did and it just popped up on them. Um, what resources would you send people to that they can, you know, outside of a healthcare provider, but something that, that, that they could find good information. You know, I don't right. know if you guys have been on Google recently, but there's some good information. There's also some bad information out there. What's yeah. something, a resource or two you'd say, like, this is good information. You can, you can trust this. Well, there's, a couple of websites the american diabetes association has tons of information about nutrition and cooking tips and recipes as well as um, the american dietetic association or the academy for nutrition and dietetics um, which is eatright.org is their website um, so either of those resources are extremely credible um, if they do find information that they're questioning the credibility about, I have a tool on our website, safercaretexas.org, um, called WebLit Legit, and we have a senior version, and it tells you how to judge whether the information that you're finding online is credible or not. Um, so that's a good resource for them to use there. I'm just going to give away your phone number to the listeners in the email. You just just they can contact you directly. <laughs> really good use of your time so you'd love to have 5,000 phone calls um you, you we talked a little bit about health literacy i feel like there's an overarching theme of health literacy um why is that so important to you why is why is health literacy and healthy communities so important to you yeah so we talked about when i was introducing myself that i'm actually the clinical executive for health literacy at safer care texas which is our state-funded patient safety institute so it's all about patient safety, really, because um, we there is research that shows that when patients don't understand health information, there's more mistakes made with medications, with um, taking care of themselves when they get home. I had a patient once that had was uh, living with diabetes and had had a toe amputation, and we get there. It was a home-based visit, and we get there. And one, it's 10 o'clock. And I said, have you eaten breakfast? And he said, no. And I said, have you taken your medication? He said, yes. And I said, well, what are you going to do if you have a low? And he opened a little drawer and it had candy in there. So I was like, okay, we probably need to take a step back and re-educate. Um, but secondly, he hadn't changed the bandage on his toe. And so um, the nurse that was with me was like, oh, um, we probably need to take a look at that because we should have changed that a couple days ago. So it's all about, you know, that harm that can happen to patients when they don't understand the information that they're given. And improving health literacy really is a Healthy People 2030 objective. It was in Healthy People 2020 as well, but in Healthy People 2030, they reframed it. So before, all of the responsibility was put on the patient, but we know that um, healthcare has become so complex. And just like um, Dr. Taylor and Dr. Otanda talked about, you know, medications even getting so complex sure. that it's almost impossible for patients to understand all of that on their own. So Healthy People 2030 then asks for healthcare entities to become health literate healthcare organizations. So making sure that the information they're giving, the education they're giving, which is what we hope to do and aspire to do, um, is understandable and actionable. 
by our participants. And especially when you think about underserved populations and rural populations who don't have good access to care. I mean, we've seen that with COVID-19. Yeah. Yeah, that that's uh, that, that that's come to the forefront, and we, you know, the parallels. It's really funny, like coming from my weird background of communications and broadcasting, um, I can see so many different parallels. And we were we just did an episode with someone. We were talking about business and marketing someone's private practice, and a phrase came up, and it just reminded me of something Teresa said: "Confused people don't." That's it. Confused people right. don't. They don't do anything. So that that situation you were talking about, he's sitting there, hadn't eaten, taking his medication, having to look at. Confused people don't. Yeah. He wasn't. He wasn't stupid. He didn't know. He was. It was not communicated. Confused right. people don't take action. They just go. I don't know. I'm going to choose to do nothing because I don't understand. And that's why I think a program like this it uses a resource we have plenty of knowledge, and you're trying to make sure it's understandable because. Listen, I got a neighbor. He's a mechanic. The simple stuff he knows, super complex for me. When he explains it to me, I understand why I'm doing it and how to do it. And that's power. That's why I think what you're doing here is powerful. Yeah, hey, you're not one of, Yeah, that's one of the principles that we teach in health literacy. It's called Ask Me Three. And it's really to empower patients to understand. And so it's three things you should never leave your provider's office without knowing. And that's what is my main problem? What do I need to do about it? And why do I need to do it? Because if you don't know the why, then you're less likely to follow through. This is feeling like a marketing episode. I mean, I, I talk to, <laughs> to, to to clinicians a lot. I mean, I look through a lens, right? We all have a little lens that we look through the world. And you you were you were starting to highlight something. I call it the grunt test. Because the the receiver, the patient in this care, it should in the in the situation. The answers to what you just said should be so easy, even a caveman should grunt the answers. Oh, it's so clear. It's so simple. You might have said it three times. Repetition is good. So what do you do? How does it make my life better? What do I need to do to get it? And you're saying, give me those three again, one more time. What, what did you say? The, 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 yeah, the what is my main problem? What do I need to do about it? And why do I need to do it? You know, If you miss one of those three things, right? If you don't say why... Maybe I don't change my oil. If you're like, change your oil every, you know, what's the problem? Well, your car needs an oil change uh, every 3,000 miles. You didn't tell me why. Your engine could seize, Jimmy. But but go, I say go a little further. If your engine seizes, you can't go to the beach, right? <laughs> if you do this, you're going to get sick. You're going to go back to the hospital. You don't want to do that. <laughs> this, is, this is communication 101, but a lot of times we assume that it's so basic. Uh, don't assume. You know what happens when we assume. Yep. The problem with uh, with communication is the assumption that it actually occurred. Yes, it is. See, we're dropping all the communication one-liners that I like. <laughs> that one, and I think we I said it before I started, which is my mantra, which I will I will die on this hill. Uh, science isn't finished until it's understood. I mean, how many of those statements do you have? Man, what some so, something happened to so and so that patient. Man, if they just only knew that one thing, did they just not know? So a lot of times is it that we need to know more or we need to communicate more what we already know. I'm not saying stop researching. I'm not saying that. We've come a long way. We've got a lot of knowledge that we still have in our brains that we need to share with the world. Correct. Identica, let's bring you back in. Um, what are common medical errors? What are common medical errors that you guys see so we can make them less common medical errors? So educate us. Help us out here. Absolutely. I think for me, the one that comes to mind definitely is within the insulin management space because, you know, insulin has a very narrow therapeutic index. So you can easily make errors and, you know, fatal 
mistakes with it. So um, just educating patients how to properly inject insulin is one of the common errors I see. So making sure they have good, you know, sanitation, they're cleaning their hands, they're injected in the right place. I've had patients injecting, you know, like their inner thigh or some places that are not good for absorption. So that's a common error we see. Um, and then just storage as well, right? So where do you store your insulin to make sure they understand it should not be, you know, in the freezer um, and just how long things last for. So most of the errors I've seen definitely is around insulin. And then now we have non-insulin injectable medications. We're also seeing some errors there where like once weekly medications are now injected, you know, a daily because the patient didn't understand the instructions. Um, that's something else that I've seen. It's just plain wrong, you know, and I help people communicate uh, value. That's like one of the things that I, I, as a physical therapist, I see what we're able to do as healthcare providers. I see what we're able to do. And I love to start off this, the, the, this, this idea, it's a little exercise. It's just plain wrong, right? Just what, what, who are we talking about? This is our audience. Great. It's just plain wrong that someone didn't understand this and they got hurt or killed. That, that is just plain wrong when they just didn't understand um uh what else what didn't i ask what's something you guys would want to make sure we talk about ken i know there was some things that we wanted to bring up what, what did i miss so back let's just i'd like to circle back to health literacy and i think okay. a big part of a lot of outpatient providers a lot of physical therapists practice where they they're practicing in a silo that's really important to uh, communicate back to the physicians and i think a big part of health literacy is the fact that it's not only is the information understandable to the patient that we provided in a way that it's clear, it, it, they understand it and that they know why and the what and the why of it. Health literacy is also being able to access care. So a lot of our patients have multiple doctors and making the phone call to get those appointments in and they get to access, to being able to access the, the, uh, the complex care system that we have. The insurance piece is a big factor. You know, we know many patients that have such a great need, but they have a limited, um, they're underinsured and they need these things and they're not able to navigate the, uh, the healthcare set, the healthcare system. Yeah. And I think that therapists have a, a role to play. I think all of our disciplines have a big role to play to make sure our patients are able to access the care when they need it. Yeah. And, and particularly therapists that are working in a silo in, in private practice in outpatient, I think they need to be making more phone calls. I think we need to communicate with each other better not only with our patients, but we need to communicate with each other better and have much more follow-up on when we ask for things to be done that they're actually done. I heard a, a great piece of advice when I was still a PT student, which was, um, you know, walk around your block. And it meant, like, understand who's close. If you don't know how to treat this, know the PT that's close that does. And, and that, should be, that should be a goal, right? The goal is not just to get and keep patients as long as you can, but understand what you're talking about here Who's in your neighborhood? Walk around your block. Who's good? Who's close? Who's available? I mean, you, you mentioned access. I mean, twice, people that I'm close to in the last two months were sent to a specialist, and the waiting list was seven months. You don't get, you don't get referred to a specialist unless it's something important, right? You're not just going to a neurologist for, the, for funsies. Um, and if it's seven months, that's not acceptable, right? So that breaks my heart. That's just plain wrong. It's one of those. <laughs> Anything else? Anything else I didn't cover that you guys would want to share? Um, I think from a pharmacist perspective, I just wanted to um, include cost. We, you know, talk a lot about access. We talk a lot about, you know, appropriate prescribing, but 
we are living in a time where patients can't afford their medications. The cost is really high. Um, access to those medications, again, become a problem. And so if you ever find yourself in an issue where your patient can't get access to a medication or you yourself can't get access to a medication, please reach out to your local pharmacist. Um, we have a lot of resources that we're able to use to either get you, you know, coupons, get you discount um, rates, and also get you assistance program um, approvals from those manufacturing companies so that hopefully we can make it easier for your patients to access um, these, you know, life-threatening um, disease states need these medications. And so it's important for us to be empowered as providers to also educate our patients how to get the medications if they're not able to afford them. How have you seen this program? Oh, go ahead, Teresa, you were going to say something. Oh, I was just going to say that that extends to nutrition as well. Um, because when you're working with patients in underserved or rural areas, that many times food insecurity is a problem. And we all know they need to be eating to balance, you know, all of their blood sugar and medications and everything else they have going on. So there's a lot of resources that uh, we're able to steer them to as well, or we work really closely with community-based organizations within um, communities that are hard to reach in order to make sure we yeah. connect people. And we can also, like, if you are working with a registered dietitian or, um, you know, maybe you don't have access to a registered dietitian, but um, there's a lot of resources online that, you know, your local librarian or another um, social work type of resource could help connect you to, but also helping you to learn how to eat healthy on a budget. Everyone thinks it's expensive to eat healthy, but not if you know how to shop and how to prepare and how to store food appropriately. Yeah, I mean, there were two terms that I learned uh, on this show that I had never even heard. Well, I heard it in PT school, but before that, which was food desert and food swamp. That food desert I'd heard of. The food swamp I hadn't heard till I did a podcast episode on it. And you just never think about that. Right. You don't think about a large portion of the population unless it's staring you in the face. So my next question will be for everybody. Feel free to jump in. Since you've been involved with this program, since you've been working more closely on this specific, these specific problems for these people, how have you seen things grow? What are some what are some successes or things that, that you define success in a program like this? Sure. Well, I'll say I, I think it was really great to see some of our patients from the clinic and be able to spend more time with them one-on-one -on -one during our sessions and we were able to answer their individual questions. And I think so often, you know, in your doctor's office, you're diagnosed with whatever it is and the person says um, a few minutes about how to manage it or what you should do. And then the visit's over. This was a great time of an hour and a half or during my session and each of our sessions that we were able to spend with these people and really talk to them about their particular situation. And then at the end, we came up with some SMART goals with our patients. And I think that made it a lot more meaningful to the patient. Yeah. Who else? Who wants to chime in about what they've seen and what they've considered success? Yeah, I'll add to that. Um, I definitely echo what Kate mentioned about individual you know, progress and seeing patients um, from clinic being able to have their questions answered. But one thing I've also seen is the ripple effect. And so we had a few of our participants who also had loved ones that had diabetes. 
And so from them attending the classes and getting this information, they are now excited to share with other people who have diabetes as well. And so one of our um, participants has, has a wife with diabetes and was really, you know, just encouraged as to how to cook better, physical activity for the couple. And then you just get to see what your class is doing for other people in the community as well. That's great. And from a nutrition standpoint, I would say that um, probably the most important thing to me to convey to the patients is, um, you know, we think about a diabetic diet, but as I mentioned, really everyone should be eating more healthy. Um, so it's rewarding to help them learn how to eat their favorite foods in moderation and how to balance that out so that they can still have full enjoyment of food and manage their diabetes at the same time. Well said, and Ken, we gotta come to you. What do you think? So uh, I'm gonna shift gears a little bit and, uh, and I feel it, it's successful in the fact that we now have our students, our DPT students and our other uh, pharmacy students and dietitian students. I think it's, you know, NP, hopefully we'll get some NP students in, but I think it's really important that we're setting the stage for these the new clinicians, the next, you know, the next uh, workforce future workforce looking at this from the ground up and being able to see it in a different way than we were trained. And, uh, you know, you started the, cat, the podcast off today talking about interprofessional care. And I think that's a big success of our program is, is we truly are, are interprofessional and we all speak from our strengths for our patients. And our students are learning that, you know, seeing, it, um, seeing it live as it happens. I want to talk about ripple effect too, right? Uh, teach these people who are going to go out and infect more lives. That's a pretty good ripple effect. So good on you for guys uh, uh, getting those involved. Uh, last thing we do on the show is called the parting shot. Are you guys ready for the parting shot? Okay. doesn't matter. It's happening anyway. Parting shot brought to you by the Academy of Orthopedic Physical Therapy. Find them online at orthopt.org. They are the leaders in orthopedic physical therapy. Uh, they also have current concepts of orthopedic PT. That is the perfect roadmap. Perfect. Takes you from wherever you are to that OCS exam. Wherever you are to being a better orthopedic physical therapist. So, again, find them online at orthopt.org. So, here's how this is going to work. We'll go around the horn. Uh, we'll start with the Deneke. Uh, last chance for a mic drop moment, soapbox statement, whatever message you don't want to leave with the audience as we wrap up today. Um, sure. I think my biggest message is just to really um, have us as clinicians leverage our strengths and start to work more collaboratively with each other. Um, so, you know, reach out to your pharmacist, reach out to your nurse practitioner, to your dietitian, um, your physical therapist, if you have access to these colleagues and just start to build these networks so that we can make, you know, patient care more optimal when we work together. Well said. Uh, let's go Teresa next. Teresa, what's your parting shot? Yes. Yeah, so um, to all of our listeners, I would say make sure that the instructions that you provide to your patients are understandable and actionable at home. And if you aren't sure if they are, then reach out to a health literacy specialist to help you. I love that. Science isn't finished until it's understood. Kate, what's your parting shot? What are you leaving us with? My parting shot is don't be afraid or don't not ask questions to your patients. 
You should ask them, are they doing this or do they understand that? Because we might think that they're doing whatever we prescribed or told them what to do. But until you validate that they are doing whatever we tell them, we don't know. And if somebody's had diabetes for 10 years, they might be doing something one particular way. But really, maybe the treatment has changed or maybe it's not appropriate anymore. And you really just have to get in tune of what's going on with your patients. And don't, you do it by asking questions. Don't assume, says Kate. Assume. All right, Kate, I'm setting you up. You're the closer here. Parting shot, what do you got for us? So I, I echo everything that my colleagues have said. And I feel like my parting shot is to partner with our patients and partner with each other. And uh, our, to, for all our patients that may be listening or potential patients, you know, diabetes is preventable. And that's the whole idea of this program is to help prevent diabetes and help you live a full life. And that's that's my parting shot. Love that. Uh, thank you guys for doing this to, to shed some light and some good information and make sure the, the, the clinicians in the audience are being more uh, health literate in terms of this patient population. Thank you guys for doing what you do. We appreciate it. Thanks, Jimmy. Thank you for having Thanks, us. Thanks, Jimmy. All right, guys. We said the best conversations happen at happy hour. Thanks for coming to ours. Like what you hear? Tell a friend or leave a review on iTunes or Google Play. The show today is brought to you by the Brooks Institute of Higher Learning, an innovator in providing advanced post-professional education. The Brooks IHL offers seven on-site PT residencies, including orthopedics, women's health, geriatrics, pediatrics, sports, and neurology as well as a Neurologic OT Fellowship, a Competitive OMPT Fellowship, and a Speech Therapy Clinical Fellowship. Therapists that complete a residency or fellowship through the Brooks IHL will markedly advance their knowledge and skills in a specialty area of practice. Learn more about how a residency or fellowship can help you advance your professional development at brooksihl.org. Our home on the internet. PTPintCast.com Created by BuildPT BuildPT provides marketing services specifically for private practice PTs From website development and hosting Providing content marketing solutions For PT clinics across the country See what BuildPT can do for you today At BuildPT.com The PT Pinecast is a product of PT Pinecast LLC. It is hosted and produced by PT Pinecast CEO Jim McKay and CBO Sky Donovan from Marymount University. We talk PT, drink beer, and record it. This has been another pour from the PT Pinecast. The PT Pinecast is intended for educational purposes only. No clinical decision-making should be based solely on one source. While care is taken to ensure accuracy, factual errors can be present. More on the show at ptpinecast.com.